when Better announced its plans, there was a lot of eyebrow raising and criticism around a public figure like Jake Paul, who used to be a Disney Channel star, being the face of this sports book. Even the Massachusetts regulators basically questioned Paul over this and said, it sure seems like your audience is very young. So how are you going to make sure that the people you're selling this product to are of the age to gamble? You're listening to the Gaming News Canada show with Steve McAllister, recorded live on LinkedIn Audio. Follow Steve on LinkedIn to join the live audience. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back to LinkedIn Audio and the Gaming News Canada show presented by Osler, Hoskin and Harcourt LLP. It is Thursday, April 20th. We have lots to discuss as always this week. I uh, want to welcome back uh, our regular contributors, Amanda Brewer from Kindred Group, Chris Abbott back from vacation from Botanical Canada, as always, Mark Silver, Mike Day, and Gavin Roth from Parlay Media Group, Jessica Wellman, who's been on the show before, the editor of SBC America. She's going to join us in a few minutes, and we're going to talk about a couple of stories happening on both sides of the border this week. But uh, first of all, we want to welcome... Aiden Brain, the Vice President of Conference Production for the Americas at SBC. And the reason why we wanted Aiden on to kick off the show is that we're about to enter the spring and summer summit season. And for many of the folks who work in the sports betting and gaming industry, that means planes, trains, automobiles, and hotels at this time of year, uh, beginning with the, uh, the May 9th to 11th SBC Summit North America at the Meadowlands Exposition Center. And Secaucus, New Jersey, and uh, we also want to get Aiden on because SBC has taken over operating the Canadian Gaming Summit for the first time this year. So we want to talk a little bit about the June 13th to 15th uh, summit at the Metro Toronto Convention Centre. Welcome to the show, and I'm assuming that for you and Bob McFarland, Sue Schneider, and uh, the other people involved in the events planning for, for these conferences, that this is probably a crazy time of year for you. Hey, Steve. Uh, thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, I was going to say when you said before, we're about to go into summit season. When you're organizing these things, it feels like we've been some, in summit season for a while now. Um, we're definitely going into the crazy period with, uh, with both of those events coming up. Well, I really appreciate you taking a few minutes to away from your busy day to spend with us. And I may just start off. My first experience uh, in the gaming industry was at the SBC North America Summit back in uh, December of 2021. And uh, I was able to attend last year's summit as well. I think there are a lot of people who were quite excited uh, last summer, last June, when the Canadian Gaming Association announced that SBC was going to take over operating the Canadian mm -hmm. Gaming Summit. And uh, obviously, uh, Bob McFarlane and Sue Schneider, who we met earlier, were in Toronto last summer at the summit, taking lots of notes, doing site tours. I know uh, when Sue was in town a couple of weeks ago for the uh, Canadian Gaming Association Leaders Forum to celebrate the one-year anniversary of the, the Ontario market, uh, Sue and the SBC team, I think Nikki Fields was among that group. Uh, they were doing mm -hmm. a little bit more going about town and, and checking out venues and getting things nailed down for the June conference. Maybe just talking about what uh, what it means for SBC to, to be able to get this kind of a foothold and, and be involved in the, in the Canadian market. We're really excited about it this year. Um, you know, we've been running the, the, the North America flagship in Jersey for a while now. Um, and then obviously with everything that's happened in Ontario in the last couple of years, you know, we just saw it as a great time to, 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 yeah, like, as you said, you know, um, get a toehold, 
in Canada. Um, it's been really interesting working with so many Canadian stakeholders putting the event together because it is, you know, it's 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 obviously a very different landscape up there. Um, and yeah, we're really excited about it. I know from the conversations that Mark Silver and I had with Bob last year and, and over the past 10 or 11 months, Aiden, and and again, talking to people like Paul Burns and, and Amanda Brewer in, in the past, even though the industry, we, we tend to see each other at these shows, it's really important that this event in Canada's Canadian focus. And obviously, just looking yeah. at the agenda before we hopped on today, there's a, a very heavy Canadian focus on, on, uh, on this gaming summit and uh and bringing a lot of people who work in the canadian industry and i'm I'm assuming that's something that was top of mind for sbc as you're organizing this yeah most definitely we um we obviously we knew the show needed a a strong canadian focus and not just you know a conference where we bring in all the speakers that we've had in other territories and just bring them along and kind of rehash the same same old stuff um you know, we, we, again, yeah, we knew it had to be really Canadian focused. And I think another, another major thing that I had in mind whilst putting the content together this year was making sure that it is Canadian focused and not just Ontario focused. Um, I think, I think that's a major thing that you'll hopefully see in the agenda this year that we have folks in from the other provinces too, um, to be part of the content and to talk about their models, uh, their perspectives on the industry so, um, so yeah, that was always front of mind, as you say. Yeah, to that point, Aiden, uh, the Ryan McCarthy from the British Columbia Lottery Corporation on, I think, the Wednesday of the summit is going to talk about mm-hmm. a, a case study on on uh, advertising and responsible gambling. Uh, there's going to be a panel that includes Paul Burns from the CGA and, and Troy Ross on on kind of the rollout of regulated gaming across the country since Bill C-218 mm-hmm. was passed uh, two, almost two years ago now. Uh, you know, there's going to be a, one of the panels that I'm keen to, to listen in on is uh, one of collaboration between teams, leagues, and sports books in, in Canada. And I think, uh, I think Aubrey Levy from the scores involved in that one, along with Owen Welsh from the Canadian Football League. Um, yeah. I'm, looking, look, I'm really looking forward to the, to the panel that I'm, I'm going to be moderating uh, about the intersection of sports betting and content. And, and Chris Abbott's going to be part of that, along with Megan Chaka, Jared Bieber from Bet99, and, and Connor Murray from, from FanDuel. So a lot of Canadian voices in these panels. And, and as you mentioned, it's yeah. not just Ontario focus. It's going, to, uh, it's going to span the entire country. Right, yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, a lot, a lot is happening in Ontario. So that, that is a big part of the content. Um, you know, iGaming Ontario, AGCO, OL, OLG, um, all represented on a lot of panels. Um, but yeah, you know, BCLC as well, AGLC. Uh, we're hopefully bringing Sega on board, um, lots of Quebec and so on. So um, yeah, it's a, I, I like to think that almost everybody is represented. So I'm really looking forward to that aspect of it. Hey man, I know I'm sure you've had a chance to look at the agenda, and you I'm sure you've had some input with with SBC. I mean, is is are you are you pleased with what the, what the agenda is and what SBC has been able to do to get ready for this? Absolutely. Um, I met with Aiden. Gosh, how many months ago, Aiden? Um, the great thing about SBC is yeah. they they started nice and early on this, and you know, really quickly they were aligned with, you know, not just the Canadian content, but also making sure that there was a pretty good representation of, of women speaking um, on these panels as well. 
And so full credit to Aiden for doing the outreach because, you know, as, as we all know, we're, we're different up here in Canada than in the States. We don't have the same tribal gaming as they do down there. You know, our lottery corporations are a different um, relationship um, in Canada, you know, and so it was important to, for them to be able to kind of reach into, um, you know, with Paul at the CGA and I volunteered to, to help as much as I could just to help navigate that because, you know, SBC, I'm personally very excited to come um, participate in the conference and experience a conference with them at the helm. Um, but I think it was really important for this being their first one that they had the full support of the industry and, you know, put put everyone's, you know, best foot forward with this one, too. So, yeah. Hey, Aiden. SBC, yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Aiden. I was just going to echo what Amanda said um, and kind of thank her as well, because as she said, Amanda and Paul have been extremely helpful, um, especially when I was first kind of getting to grips with the with the agenda and with the landscape in the Canadian industry. Um, it was it was crucial to have them. So um, thank you. The other question I wanted to ask Aiden or point I wanted to make is that there is, you know, the, these summits just aren't about the panels and sitting and listening to people talk. I think at SBC, there are some really neat twists, and and there are lots of networking opportunities, and there's a little mm-hmm. bit of a little bit of fun. You know, I remember my first SBC summit, and uh, you know, seeing the, the the donuts on a stick in the in the mornings, and ice cream <laughs> sandwiches in the afternoon, and uh, I think that year I just missed. Uh, SBC had booked uh, the the football stay in the home of the Jets and the Giants for an evening and had a party on the field where where the attendees could kick field goals. Now maybe just can you I don't know can you maybe give us a sneak peek of some of the fun things that you might be doing in Toronto? Oh yeah, so uh, as you mentioned, I think that's the that is kind of the SBC special source. You know, the content is great, the 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 networking and the expo is great. Um, but we really make sure that the, the networking and the activities, um, that there's something for everybody. And that, like you said, it's just a lot of fun. So, um, you know, we have a couple of really great networking parties planned at some really cool venues in Toronto. Um, you know, we have breakfasts planned on the on different days of the show. There's the Global Gaming Women Meetup. There's um, the First Nations Breakfast on a Thursday. Um, so we really wanted to make sure there was something for everybody when it comes to the fun side of the event. I, I did want to spend a couple of minutes before we let you go, Aiden, on, on the SBC Summit North America. Um, yeah. May, uh, May 9th to 11th at, at the Meadowlands. And again, there, w- there will be some Canadian content at, at the conference. Mm-hmm. There is going to be a panel on, on the Ontario iGaming landscape with uh, that's going to be moderated by Paul Burns from the CGA and uh, with Dave yeah. Pridmore from OLG, Bruce Coghill from Rush Street Interactive, uh, the COO of the Alcohol and Gaming Commission of Ontario, Dave Phillips, and uh, Jeff Jeff Sacconi from uh, from Covers. Um, and then among the keynote presentations, it's going to be uh, Johnny Aiken, the CEO of PointsBet USA. So given some of the buzz around points bet right now. I'm sure Johnny will get some questions uh, about that. And we're, we're going to get into mm. that a little bit later in the, in the hour. Um, again, is, is it, you know, is there still maybe um, aiding a bit of a soft spot, like because the SBC summit is in your own backyard and, and uh, you know, there, there's, it's an event that you never want, even though there's some familiarity and, and it's a place where people, people have been for a few times you uh, you still want to have something new and give people a reason to come back every year. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, the first thing I'll say is um, you seem to know the agenda better than I do. So well done on doing the research there. Um, I'm glad you didn't ask me for a full rundown. Um, but um, yeah, you know, like you said, it is, it's kind of, it's in my backyard. Um, I'm here in New York, so it's just, the Midlands is just across the river from me. So I appreciate that aspect. The commute will be easy. But um, yeah, every, even though it is, it's getting to be an event that is on everybody's calendar year in, year out, um, especially you know, since post-pandemic. Um, but every year we still do want to bring something new. So, um, again, there's some really awesome networking parties happening. Um, most of those will be, again, just across the Hudson in Manhattan, um, some just some really cool venues. Um, and then the content this year, I think, is better than it ever has been. The leaders stage is just packed with really great keynotes, um, Johnny being, being one of them, as you mentioned, um and yeah I, I think it's just you know it's going from strength to strength year in year out more and more people add it to their calendar and i think um we've just been able to get it done earlier every year as well because um there's not so much okay can you make it next year kind of negotiations with speakers and attendees is kind of already on their calendar um it's just it's you know one of the annual industry gatherings so um so yeah it, it's really going to be great and it's in Wow, just just over three weeks. So, yeah, exciting times. Hey, man, I want to bring you in here for a second. I'll maybe get Jessica Wellman too. I, mm. I, I like to raise. I like to raise this only because uh, we, a lot of people, whether they're they're listening here on LinkedIn audio or they're uh, they're reading the newsletter, there are, there are a lot of people that are still new to this industry, and I always like to ask people like yourself and Jessica and Aiden what what advice they would give the people attending the conference for, for the first time. Well, coming to Toronto, especially if you've gone to the SBC conference in New Jersey, you'll see a lot of similarities in terms of size um, and just the type of venues. It's it's all going to be similar size and scale. Um, it, it's no comparison to the ICE or the G2E um, shows, and uh, those are just huge. And uh, I don't think we'll ever get quite that big here in uh, in Canada. But the summit, when um, the CJ was still running it, used to move locations um, around the country um, over the years. So it was interesting. You'd, you'd get a chance to go out to Vancouver. We've been in Edmonton. We've been in Montreal um, and Toronto for the last couple of years. COVID having done a really good job at disrupting all kinds of, of plans. But it's exciting to come back to Toronto. Toronto is a really easy travel city. Um, the location is right downtown. You're in the middle of the entertainment and financial districts. And it's just a really nice um, nice time of the year to be in the city because it's in, in full bloom and the nice weather is landing. But you tend to see a lot of senior people at this conference. Um, it has mm -hmm. really great networking uh, events. And it's similar to most of the CGAs focus on any of the sort of um, dialogue and, and, and communication events it would offer, which is there's always been a real heavy focus on education, especially because there's been so much to talk about um, with the Canadian industry over the last few years. Um, but the networking has always been a hallmark of the CJ events, whether the CJ is down at G2E or, you know, over at, at ICE or anywhere else. So the networking has always been a very big, big focus um, for the summit as well. So it's great to see SBC coming in and picking that up. And like I said, I think it's just a really good mix 
of um, hearing from some really learned people, some very experienced people, um, but also being able to you know reconnect with colleagues and hopefully uh, make some make some introductions to some new ones as well. So it's the best of both worlds. And Jessica Wellman, your your advice from a journalist perspective with these conferences. Um, on the media side, any media attending, I really, I, I'm here to sing Aiden's praises so that he doesn't have to sing his own. The conference content is so, so good. And there's always really thoughtful insights coming out and generally some breaking news as well that I would make time to go to panels, especially because pretty much after any panel, the people are up there long enough that you can you know, grab them and grab their card and and make plans to talk to them at another time. My other big thing for media and just anyone attending, don't totally jam pack your schedule just back to back to back because some of the best conversations you have are the ones where you're just making your way from the stage back to your booth or one stage to another and running into someone and, and making a connection. And I think to fully make the most of our conferences, you want to create some time to to have those opportunities happen and not always be just going immediately from one location to the next location to the next location. Uh, Chris Abbott, any any gaps to fill there? No, I mean, just in terms of, of spending time at conferences, I think it's a great opportunity to listen and learn. And one of the things I'm looking forward to in, in the New York conference especially is there's a lot of you know, the big hitters from the American market, guys and gals who are managing budgets, you know, far greater than than we are here in, in Ontario and Canada. So it's always interesting to learn from those people. And then I'm, I'm really excited about SBC taking over the Toronto conference as well. Um, you can already see by the the schedule that's been put in place that it's, um, it's going to be bigger and better than last year. So really looking forward to that. Uh, I'm going to give the last word to Aiden, but before I do, I just want to mention that, uh, in today's newsletter, we there is a there is a discount code, so you can still get tickets for the uh, for the SBC Summit North America in three weeks, and and use a discount code to get a bit of money off that uh, off that ticket. Uh, the website address for the Canadian Gaming Summit is sbcevents.com/slash/Canadian-Gaming-Summit. Uh, Aiden, I assume there's still there's still hotel rooms, there's still tickets, uh, there's there's still room for people who want to squeeze into both conferences. Yeah, mo- most definitely, there, there's still room. Um, you know, we've had more registrations so far this year than than we have in past years, so you know it, it's getting there. But um, you know, now is a great time, especially for the New York event, to go out and get your tickets um, using that discount code. Um, and for the Canadian event, same thing. Make sure you get in your hotel block and, and so on. Aiden Brain is the Vice President Conference Production of the Americas for SBC. A word from our sponsor. The Gaming News Canada Show is presented by Osler, Hoskin, and Harcourt LLP. Osler's gaming practice group has the insight needed to help clients navigate the complex and evolving legal landscape of the gaming industry. Osler's position as a trusted advisor in gaming has been built over years of service to stakeholders in the industry, including financial institutions, gaming operators, and provincial gaming authorities. Visit osler.com forward slash gaming for more information. That's O-S-L-E-R dot com slash gaming. Now back to the show. Some breaking news uh, of what I would call the minor sort uh, just before we started the show. iGaming Ontario put out a press release uh, after lunch with the official 2022-23 fourth quarter and 
and your end financials and it essentially just looking quickly at it. And Amanda, I don't know if you had a chance to see it or Jessica, but uh, I think it just confirms the numbers that were released at the, uh, at the CGA event on April 4th. Uh, $35.5 billion in total wagers over the first 12 months of the regulated Ontario market, uh, $1.4 billion in total gaming revenue. That's, that's coming from 45 operators and 76 gaming websites, 1.65 million active player accounts, which I think might be a little bit higher than what Martha Otten announced back on April, April 4th, uh, and an average monthly spend of, uh, of $70 per, per customer. Uh, Amanda, anything else to add to that? No, um, I think because what we saw at on April 4th was pretty close to this. Um, this was, I think, largely to be expected. And I said the only caution I continue to urge people is to look at what Ontario did in its first year and not start comparing it to New Jersey in its 12th year or Pennsylvania in its seventh year. Um, I think for a first year of a gray market, this was not a green market that Ontario launched. There's still you know, a little bit of work to do to clean it all up. There's still, you know, the, the you know, 100% they're trying to achieve a channelization. They're at 85%, which is great. But I just, you know, just try to remind people that this is the first year of trying to clean up a former gray market. So I think they did a really great job and still more work to do. But I think everyone should be very pleased with these numbers. Yeah, I think Chris Abbott, we, you and we discussed this, I think, on the show uh, the, the couple of days after the, the CGA event and when the numbers first came out. And um, again, there's been lots of, uh, lots of pieces done since then, coverage, reporting, opinion pieces, op-eds, et cetera. But I, it seems to me that the, the one thing to keep top of mind is that this, this is a very, very, very young, uh, very, very young market here in Ontario. No, super young market. I think... Um... You know, by all accounts, this is this is impressive through the first year. Um, you know, 1.65 million player accounts. We talked about it before. You know, you probably presume that the average is between two and three per person. So that's still a lot of people um, playing in the regulated market here. These numbers don't include ProLine Plus and the OLG products. So the you know, there's more people and more money again. Um, yeah, I mean, it's. I think it's encouraging too if you're uh, either an operator or uh, you know a, a watcher of of the money going into government coffers or what can be done um, in, in good news in terms of this market. Um, whether it's again we talked about it before, but employment opportunities, people who own creative and marketing agencies are are doing very well. That this doesn't take in uh, to account all of those benefits as well. So um, yeah, I mean, uh, I think it's encouraging. The growth uh, quarter over quarter is is impressive, to say the least. And um, yeah, I'll, I'll echo what Amanda says that, you know, if you look at this in seven years or 15 years or whatever it is, um, you've probably got a tidy little industry going here. Um, we asked Jessica Wellman to join us today because uh, a story came out yesterday morning and um, I will say the uh, when the news came out last week from AGCO about uh, proposed rule changes to to uh, sports betting advertising as it relates to the use of athletes and celebrities that that was a catalyst last week for two of the biggest uh, most engaged newsletters we've had yet at Gaming News Canada and and far and away the the most engaged podcast we've had since we uh, since we launched this podcast last uh, last fall. And, um, you know, not so coincidentally, uh, announcement came out yesterday morning 
from from the NFL, but this uh, a coalition of, of uh, a bunch of leagues. I'll just quickly name them off: the the NFL, the NBA, the NHL, Major League Baseball, the WNBA, NASCAR, and MLS. They've joined forces with NBC Universal and Fox on what they're calling the Coalition for Responsible Sports Betting Advertising. And um, I guess Jessica, maybe I'll, I'll just uh, start off with you and. Um, just seeing some of the stuff on Twitter yesterday, you know, there's a little bit of skepticism and, and cynicism around this announcement and, and whether this is this is a PR exercise and, and how, you know, how serious this coalition is and, and being an advocate or, or you know, being, a, I guess, a watchdog over sports betting, advertising and responsible gambling messaging. But I, I'd love to get your thoughts on it. Sure. You know, I. I get where people are coming from with this because I think several people were critical when the AGA re-upped its marketing code of conduct just a few weeks ago that this feels like somewhat of an, an empty gesture. So why would this be any different? Um, I think for me, the big difference is in the optics of it all. With the AGA, that's that's the lobbying organization and that's Sportsbooks op operators saying, hey, trust us, we'll be sure to market correctly. But to an outside observer, the fact that these people who are a step removed from the sportsbooks themselves, the leagues, the media outlets are saying, hey, we're going to keep an eye on this. I think it creates a scenario where it, it may not necessarily mean that there's more to, more accountability, but it certainly feels like there could be more accountability if that makes any sense, Chris. Uh, Chris Abbott. I mean, is it fair to say that uh, that it, it is a smart, even if it's a PR move, it's a smart PR move from the leagues to put this out there and at least show that they're paying attention to what's going on with all the controversy. And again, this week, we uh, if you read the newsletter, we've got a lot of links on the, on the coverage again around uh, around sports betting advertising and. Uh, Will Leach, the the founder of Deadspin, wrote a pretty scathing column for New York New York Magazine, and uh, you know we see the Netherlands Gaming Authority announced this morning that it's uh, it's fined uh, Entain and its Bet City brand six hundred seventy thousand dollars for targeting young adults for the advertising. So, would you say, Chris, it was at least you know a smart a chance for the leagues to get ahead of the, a little bit, or at least catch up to this issue? Well, I. Listen, you talked about cynicism, and, and I'm as cynical as anybody. Some people call me super negative, but anyway. Um, Jessica makes a point uh, in what she said about the leagues and media companies being separated from, from gambling operators, and that separation is very, very thin because there's a lot of money being funneled from gaming operators to leagues and media companies. So I think, yes, it's a PR move. Um, do I think that it's really... Uh, going to, to change much in the way that those relationships sit? No, not at all, because it's it's symbiotic. The leagues and, and media need the gaming operators as much as the gaming operators need the leagues and media. Um, I uh, Amanda and I were in, in the meeting last week, uh, you know, about the, the athlete um, question that came up with the AGCO. And, you know, nobody on the operator, I shouldn't say nobody, most operators... Uh, do not want to be targeting minors. They do not want to be uh, encouraging bad behaviors. And I think most operators also recognize that um, by having superstar athletes tied in with um, 
uh, messaging that it could be a bit am ambiguous. So I think uh, we're all on the right path here. I think finding some guardrails and finding um, the right mix, whether it's only in responsible gaming messaging or only in uh, just just brand with no product involvement, right? Um, I think there's um, there's a way to reach uh, a happy medium here. But I also think right now that the gaming industry is an easy target for for critics. So somewhere in there, in all of that ecosystem, there's there's a balance to be struck. Amanda, what are some of the conversations you've had since the AGCO announcement came out? Uh, a couple. And I think, you know, if, if anyone caught Paul, he was on The Current this morning with, with Matt Galloway and Brian Massey spoke ahead of him too. Um, I think it's a bit of a, a gray area that we're dealing with right now with those standards, because on one hand, from um, an integrity point of view, um, because, you know, any operator who comes in to offer sports betting in Ontario has to sign an MOU with one of the sports betting integrity associations. So from that point of view, I can understand why it would be sort of a very tidy way to just kind of put a bow around it by barring active athletes. Because if you are a sportsbook operator offering bets on sports and you have a representative of one of those sports or the teams um, representing you as well, I, you know, I can understand the AGCO coming at it from that way. Um, I think it's interesting as well because having been at Paul's side through many attempts to get the sports betting legislation changed, knowing how vociferous these leagues were against allowing legalized sports betting, um, it's interesting that you know we're you know just a year into a legalized market across Canada, and now we've got them jumping on top of a code of conduct when. You know, in fact, it would have been really helpful and we might have avoided having the AGCO having to release these proposed changes if we had a few of the outstanding leagues just disallow their athletes from participating in sports betting. So I think there's still a very uncomfortable relationship, as 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 Chris said, it is very thin. Um, I think it, it it is still a relationship that is going to cause people to question things. And as I'm fond of saying, you have to remember, we operate under a perception of what we're doing, not the reality of what we're doing. We don't target minors, we don't target problem gamblers, but those are still words that people and mainstream media like to throw at us. Um, so I think it, it's going to be interesting to see where the AGCO consultation goes, because like I said, it's, it's the perception of what we're trying to do, not the reality of what we're actually doing. And that's what we have to try and now figure out how to address. So, you know, it's not a definitive answer to your question, um, Steve, but it's just to show how black and white this is not as an issue right now. Jessica, how, has there been much percolating in the U.S. around the use of athletes and celebrities? Is, it, is this an ongoing topic at all? Or, or what are your thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, it's certainly, um, take for example, when Better announced its plans, I think there was a lot of eyebrow raising and criticism around a public figure like Jake Paul, who used to be a Disney Channel star, being the face of this sports book. Even the Massachusetts regulators basically questioned Paul over this and said, you know, it sure seems like your audience is very young. So how are you going to make sure that the people you're selling this product to are not are, are of the age to gamble? Uh, he had a high profile 
uh, interview with Bomani Jones on HBO where Bomani Jones asked the same question. I fully agree with Chris and Amanda that operators 99% of the time are intending to do these things with responsible gambling at the fore and making sure that you're not appealing to minors. But there are instances where I do think in the U.S. especially, operators are doing their best to push the very limits of what they're allowed to do. And spokespeople are are some of those. I mean, look at the Cavinder twins that were just announced yesterday as being part of Better. These people were college students three weeks ago uh, and college athletes. There are some limits. I think, you know, the NFL is never going to let an active player promote a sports book. Uh, the NBA, you don't really see a ton of active players. I think MLB allows for it in their new collective bargaining agreement. And I believe the NHL has something similar. But uh, I think now that, especially with players unions, it's just tough here to to get too many all that involved because of various CBAs in place with the leagues. You see it more with like wrestlers or UFC athletes. And, and those are understandably raising eyebrows. I don't I think from an integrity standpoint, not just a marketing to young people standpoint, there's questions about having someone who is an active participant in a sporting event telling you to part to, to bet on that sporting event. The again to go back to optics and like Amanda said, perception, it, it's bad optics to have that going on. Yeah, and to, to your point about the NHL, uh, Jessica, yeah, the NHL Players Association does allow players to uh to to be brand ambassadors for sports books and the the nba's new collective bargaining agreement with this players association it, it now allows for players to to be endorsed by sports books or for, for those athletes to invest uh, in sports books so that's that's kind of the current uh landscape with with players associations and, and the athletes uh right now I, I guess chris the other the other thing for me is if you're and if you're a legal business, it's it's always felt to me like if you're a legally regulated business, you should be allowed to do business like any other regulated business. And, um, you know, you might remember probably 20 years ago when in Canada, they, uh, they the gov federal government prohibited tobacco companies from no longer being able to sponsor sporting events and cultural events. And, and I I, I felt that was a mistake. I felt you're you're collecting ta taxes from this industry, either you're a legal industry or a legal industry. And I know that's that's a little bit black and a uh, little bit black and white. Um, but I, I would tend to agree that this, the advertising that you see in sports books isn't targeting young young adults. Uh, but it's like any other quote vice industry where if you see a beer commercial and you see a bunch of people in their 20s and 30s enjoying a beer on a dock on a on a July afternoon, that looks uh, that looks pretty attractive. Yeah, so there's 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 some things at play there. Like I mentioned before, like right now, um, you know, gambling considered being considered one of the sins, right? Um, it's easy for people to jump on it because it does appear that you know the advertising is well, the advertising has proliferated, but it is not according to information supplied by by Paul Burns and the CGA, the gambling vertical is not getting more airtime than than the others. It just appears that way. Um, and I guess it depends where you're watching as well. But I agree with you in that 
if you're a business, you should be able to make money. If Jake Paul is an adult, he should be able to make money. But then you get into differences between the United States and Canada. Um, I think one of the things we might go down here when you're talking about unions, um, you know, uh, the pursuit of happiness, life and liberty and all that, and the U.S. being a little more litigious than, than Canada is. Um, here in Canada, we've typically agreed with whatever the government decides to do, right? There hasn't been a whole lot of pushback. I don't think you'll see the same in the U.S. Like if, if I own a gambling business, I'm Jake Paul, which I, I wish I was, um, and, and I'm told I can't operate this business because somebody else thinks that I appeal primarily to kids because I was on Disney or I was this or I was that. There's an issue there, right? There's, there's a legal issue about somebody's right to pursue a living. And I think it could go down that road. I don't know how far we'd get in Canada because um, our government seems to have a little more control over our population. And I probably didn't, um, wasn't so eloquent in how I said that, but I hope the message got across. I think that makes a lot of sense, actually. Um, you're right that we are, as a population of Americans, generally less willing to accept that sort of thing. Um, and that's where, you know, regulators just get very particular, right? They will create regulations like you need to be able to to prove that 75% of your audience is over the age of 21. You need to, if you're going to advertise at a baseball game, you need to have metrics from the average attendance of those baseball games to prove that you're doing this. So I think, you know, to just push back a little on this point, it's it's not necessarily just a fully arbitrary, hey, you are on Disney, we think you you appeal to young people. It is more, you need to prove to us that you are doing this and satisfying this requirement, particularly in your case, because there are questions about that and your audience that only you can answer. Jessica, do you think the the scrutiny has been exacerbated a little bit just because of the uh, because of the integration of sports betting content in the broadcast? And as, as we've discussed on, in this forum so often, there there probably is a bit of confusion between what constitutes sports betting advertising and, and sports betting content. Uh, again, we saw some a uh, little, little bit of Twitter backlash yesterday on this coalition announcement and referring to uh, referring again to the sports betting content that the sports viewers are being subjected to. Yeah, that's an interesting one because I do think some of the pushback is that it is beyond commercials. It is um, sportscasters, you know, take Al Michaels, the NFL uh announcer, for example, he used to very subtly make hints at the over and under. And now that he's on Amazon, he's very openly talking about DraftKings and things you can bet on DraftKings. And that's a big shift for people. I do agree with people, though, that the idea of integrating products into a broadcast is not unique to sports betting. Everything I watch, if it's Top Chef, if it's my local news, if it's you know, a reality TV show, uh, even in movies, you see product integration in what we're doing. So to go back to Chris's point and your point, why would sports betting be different than than any other product and take advantage of the way that marketing works nowadays? Um, it is an age restricted product. But again, there are measures in place on these, you know, the leagues have limits. You know, NFL is like, I believe it's one commercial per half and then one at halftime and integrations on networks like Bally's uh, are limited to certain numbers of 
of integrations in a segment. So there is self-policing around this. I don't think it runs as rampant as people necessarily think it does. I think it's just for lay people, especially in a new state, it just, when you add in integrations, commercials, um, out-of-home billboard advertising, every podcast related to sports having advertising in it, if all of them are limiting themselves, you're still hearing about it pretty consistently, even if you want to avoid it. There's also, uh, Amanda, there's a there's an ec- economic reality to this whole issue, too, where uh, we came out of a pandemic and, and media networks were looking for dollars. Um, athletes, musicians, actors have are always looking for endorsement deals and a chance to make more money outside of their, their day job. And again, sports books were willing to write those checks. Um, so it's, it's, you know, it's pretty hard to ignore that factor as well. Well, on one hand, I'm going to use Univet. So we've managed to successfully air TV ads using an actor who's not a brand name, who's not even well known, but who is an actor that we've hired to play a character that wouldn't be mistaken for anyone under the age of 25. And he doesn't really influence anyone. Well, let me pull back any minors um, because he's a completely unrecognizable figure. So I really take exception to the whole notion that all of a sudden advertising is going to dry up. I, I like there's a whole bunch of there's a whole bunch of operators in this market who can't afford TV ads and can't afford to pay high powered, high priced celebrities or athletes to a star in their campaigns. So, I mean, at the very worst, maybe you're going to have to put Walter White in your ads instead of Jesse Pinkman. You know, like I there are ways around this. And I think people have really just, you know, blown by all the options as they've rushed to hurl themselves over the other side of the cliff. There's certainly a whole bunch of, of, of operators that are advertising in this market without using you know, name brand celebrities. So it is possible. I don't think the advertising is going to dry up. I also think it's one of the thornier issues that the AGCO hasn't completely thought out because, you know, as Jessica was saying, as Chris and I were discussing last week, I mean, who is going to be the arbiter of who appeals to a minor? Who is going to be the arbiter of, you know, eyeballing someone's social media following and deciding that more than a majority of their followers are minors. I don't, I don't even think we want to contemplate that being a reality that's going to be so horribly, egregiously difficult to police. Um, and somebody is going to have to be the arbiter of what is compliant and what isn't. So I'm hoping the AGCO will be a little more lenient on that. Um, because I think that one is just going to just open up a whole can of worms. Uh, Gavin Roth, you want to get in here? Yeah, just a brief comment, and don't know if you could hear me uh, well, but uh, um, I think I think we are going to see. It's going to be a misreading, I think, because we are going to see, in my view, advertising taper off, and I think a lot of people will rush to think it's because of these regulations. And I agree with Amanda. There's. It's not going to be because of this. I think it's just going to be the natural course of we've had an arms race for a year and people can't sustain that level. So I think you're going to see, um, you know, a shift to more digital and more tactical and maybe even event marketing strategies and not as much of a reliance on traditional broadcasts. So, you know, I think get ready for some some reduction on TV, but for different reasons than I think people may think. 
Chris Abbott, do you want to add anything to that? No, I, I agree with Gavin. I mean, it's it's something we've we've spoken about. It is unsustainable the amount of money that's being spent um, from top to bottom. You know, it's it's. Uh, I've said here before that everyone's making money except the operators for the most part because of the money that's going out the door to try to acquire players. Um, so yes, I think that that was coming anyhow. In fact, I think we've seen it a little bit already. Um, uh, unless I'm numb to it uh, because it's it's my whole life. I don't I don't feel like I see as much. Uh, gambling advertising as I did six months ago. Um, but I I would agree. I think it, it's unsustainable to to spend that amount of money over and over and over. Um, we are seeing a pushback. So I think there's um, maybe on behalf of the broadcasters, um, and, and uh, I think Jessica was mentioning it, some have already put limitations in. I think it would behoove others to do the same um, because there does need to strike a balance, you know, coming from the industry, we can't just say, Hey, this is what we're doing and you're going to like it. Um, if there is pushback from whether it's government, uh, public opinion, whatever, um, that needs to be listened to because, um, overall, if we don't strike a balance, then, then you look, uh, uh, you look down the road and do you end up like tobacco where I can't even see the cigarettes in the store that I want to buy. So, um, you know, you have to play, you have to play together in the sandbox and, um, I think I think we'll get there. Like I, I said earlier, I think there's there needs to be um, just a few more guardrails and a little more understanding between all parties. And and I think we'll get there. We're still new. We just talked about this. We just finished the first year. We were very quick to put together a framework just to get out the gate. And um, and now comes some time for um, for adjustment. Uh, Nick Salsky from Points by Canada joined us, and Nick surprisingly has an opinion on this. Surprisingly, thanks, Steve. Sorry that I'm late, everybody. It's, I've been enjoying the last uh, last bit of the conversation. I I, I think that um, I mean I agree. Obviously, I agree with with a lot of the things Amanda and Chris um, have been talking about. And same Gavin, um, but I do think that when it comes to this market, I think it, the the active athlete, um, the active athlete reality was really is really the primary focus. I think the celebrity one is going to be a lot tougher. Is going to be a lot tougher to to get get a handle of, especially all of the ancillary ways that that can be applied. Whether it's through television segments within one of the two media companies, you know, the, obviously the social media influencer. That's a very big gray area. I apologize if you guys have, have already commented on this earlier. Um, I, I think it's it's going to be really complicated, especially when you bring to the table the pre existing. Uh, you know, .NET advertising, which is still in theory going to be permitted, as well as um, as well as the cable bleed over from the U.S. Right, the AGCO can very easily prohibit the use of celebrities on uh, Ontario uh, iGaming marketing. But if I turn if I turn onto a television station that is running through a U.S. feed on my television box and I'm not a savvy consumer to understand that I can still be I can still be hit with US focused iGaming ads featuring current athletes but I won't really understand the difference so it's it's a it's it's going to be a tough new world to navigate around and, and I think that it's conversations like this that I know the AGCO um, listens to I think that will hopefully help shine a light on how the final regulation actually gets gets crafted. Hey, Nick, when the AGCO announcement came out last week, uh, you know, has there been a lot of chatter in your office? Because I know you you do have, you know, an office of 50 some people in, in Toronto. So is that 
was that something was kind of a topic of conversation around the kitchen on Friday? Um, well, yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, and you know, the reality is for points fed Canada, um, you know, our celebrity ambassadors are definitely not ones who, um, appeal to minors. Right. So, um, we feel very, you know, comfortable, um, with our relationship with the trailer park boys, uh, as far as the, the, um, the spirit of the, 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 the regulatory change. And then a vast majority of our partnerships are with teams, right? So we haven't, we haven't, we've never worked with a current active uh, player. Uh, we do sponsor a number of curling teams, but again, those are teams, not individual athletes. So um, yeah, I mean, anytime the AGCORIGO puts out new regulatory um, concepts, they are the most important conversation we have in the market or I'm sorry, in our office, because candidly, those are our two most important partners. And I'm not, I'm not just saying that to give lip service to the regulators. I mean, that's just a fact. Um, so yeah, Steve, we, we've been talking a lot about it over the last little while. Steve, if I could, uh, just piggyback on that. I think it, it, uh, is further to what we were speaking about earlier. Like, how do you define this? So, you know, uh, Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, do they appeal to kids, but do the Toronto Maple Leafs as a whole not appeal to kids? Um, where does it, where does it begin and where does it end? And these are important distinctions Care, that have careful to be made. Careful what door you're opening there, Chris. Careful. <laughs> yeah, no, right I mean... Now, it, it's a very sensitive topic right now, okay? Uh, <laughs> oh, listen, I've Leafs, got... The Leafs do not appeal to anybody right now. Carry on. <laughs> I've, got, I've got big money on Tampa. I've got 20 years of history to back it up, so don't worry about it. Um, but no, it, it, you know, it's serious in that... Uh, where is the distinction lie? You know, for Nick, does, is Kerry Anderson a... Uh, an, an athlete ambassador, but is their team not? Like, that's very important distinctions that need to be made. Yeah, great points. Uh, great points both. Um, I want to wrap up this segment before I do it. The one thing that kind of hit me when the coalition announcement came out yesterday is whether or not there might that might move into Canada as well. So I did some poking around, to spoke to people at a couple of the leagues, um, reached out to uh, to Roger Sports Media, which sent me a statement, and, and TSN, which I'm still waiting to hear back uh, what, back from, and Think TV, and they said there's really there's been nothing whatsoever in terms of, of the coalition maybe wanting to extend into Canada as well. So I'll just, uh, just mention that. Um, great discussion. I do want to move quickly, and I, I absolutely uh, respect, and I don't expect Nick to, to weigh, in on, weigh in on this discussion. I'm not going to ask him any questions about it, but... Well, if you read the newsletter, if you've been following the industry the past five or six days, uh, there's been rumblings out there that uh, the the points bet uh, points bet might be uh, might be an M and A target. Uh, I think it was the Australian Financial Review reported last week that uh, the points bet has enlisted the services of an investment bank in New York to 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 look at potential potentially being acquired by somebody. Um, Jessica Wellman, I just wondered, have you, have you heard anything in the last 24 hours or so on top of what's been reported so far? No, not really. Other than, uh, I think the response has, has been just kind of, yeah, this would be a really good M and a target. They have a ton of market access. Uh, the technology is certainly worthwhile that everything in this story that is really just a rumor um, does add up at least and, and make sense. 
Yeah, and I think one thing I will say is I did reach out to uh, to Chris Grove and Benji Cherniak, who really know this market inside and out, and and they they echoed your comments, Jessica, that um, if you were a sports book out there looking to acquire another sports book, points what points bet makes a lot of sense because they tick off a lot of boxes. I mean, you know, Benji mentioned. Uh, uh, you know, a well-run organization, uh, good, uh, they've got their own technology, uh, strong trading and modeling teams. And uh, as Benji said, it's it's an attractive asset. And, you know, Amanda Brewer, I think that consolidation, that's something that we've talked about on this forum going back to the days of Clubhouse when we first started writing this newsletter and, and that we knew in a highly competitive market that there, there will be consolidation at some point. Well, it's been something that's been ongoing in this industry for a very long time. I mean, Leo Vegas was just acquired by the Entain Group, I want to say. If you look at where William Hill is now, I mean, some of them have changed hands a number of times. Um, you know, FanDuel is part of Flutter. You know, you look at how Flutter was once poker stars. So, it, it, you know, this industry since the beginning has been one of consolidation um, and M&A deals. So, you know, I'm in no position to speculate. Um, I think PointsBit has a super strong brand and I think it's a really fabulous company and I hope it all works out however it's supposed to work out. But yeah, it's it's just the nature of this of this business right now, especially with any of the brands that came over to the US, that expansion into North America is not for the faint of heart. It's very competitive and sometimes the quickest path to profitability is combining forces with with another operator so yeah we'll see what happens yeah and i think from from a couple of standpoints points bet canada has been a been a real success story i mean a company that came in and invested in the market here by by getting office space in toronto by hiring as i mentioned earlier i think close to 60 employees uh, by investing through through sponsorships, they, they've been a they've been an advocate for the innovation that happens in this country in the in the gaming industry. So, uh, you know, Scott Vanderwell and 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 Nick and and other members of the the Points by Canada team, they've you know they've quickly established themselves as a as a um, very good business in this this marketplace. And and so again, I don't think it makes it should come as a surprise to anybody that when you hear these kinds of conversations that uh, that of course companies might be knocking on the door and and you know kicking uh, kicking their feet looking at looking at points. But Chris Abbott, do you want to add anything else to that? Uh, um, <clears throat> I, I would say that uh, you know for companies that are publicly traded, oftentimes your your laundry is unfortunately aired publicly. And at the end of the day, you know, regardless of the strong team and brand that's been built here in Canada by Nick's group, there's people uh, who live far away from here who add to, you know, a whole different, uh, a whole different group that have to make decisions to, to make their company um, reach whatever targets they have. Right. And that's not just points, but that's everybody who's traded publicly. So unfortunately, you know, sometimes some groups get caught up in that. You know, when I was with CoolBet a few years ago, we were acquired. Um, it was business as usual. Um, well, until recently. And, um, you know, it was it's just the way that the game is played. And and when you look at the report that comes out today that says, you know, 44 operators, 75 websites, um, you know, we've all had this conversation before. So some things will change hands. Um, but I'll echo what Amanda said. And it's such a strong brand that I don't think um, making any changes at the ground level, no matter who owns at the end of the day, uh, makes makes that much sense to me as an outsider. 
Hey, Nick, I'm not going to ask you for, for what, what you know about this, but I, I, given the conversation that we just had in the comments from, from Jessica, man, and Chris, myself, I, I do want to give you an opportunity to say something if you want, want to. No, I mean, Steve, I appreciate you not, not asking me the question, but the reality is rumors and gossip in the iGaming industry is nothing new, right? So it's rumors and gossip. So I, at the end of the day, I appreciate all the and you know, gave about the business that we tried to run that we did here, and we have a great technology platform, right? So again, um, it'll be it it'll be interesting to see how the whole market dynamic shakes out, not just from a points bet perspective, but from all of the operators, right? Because as we know, consolidation is definitely not something that um, has a that word has definitely not been a whisper. Right. So, um, you know, again, I think Jessica nailed it. Right. Rumors, rumors and gossip are nothing new for this. Thanks for that, Nick. Uh, Before we wrap up, I just want to mention that if you're uh, if you're not a paid subscriber to the newsletter, we had a couple of uh, cool stories uh, today in the newsletter. Uh, Ryan Reynolds, who seems to be everywhere these days, was introduced on Tuesday, I believe, as a as an investor in in Nuve, which is the Canadian fintech company out of Montreal. That's a a Canadian Gaming Association member. So uh, Reynolds did the rounds, and I guess this is probably how he's filling his time before he uh, before he buys the or get, buys the Ottawa Senators along with uh, with a, another group. Um, still waiting. Uh, if you didn't see it, uh, Gateway Casinos had to shut down uh, their their fourteen casinos across Ontario this week because of a cyber attack. So. Uh, last we we heard they were still trying to get that fixed and and be able to open those casinos back up. Um, a little bit of news from Rivalry yesterday. They've uh, they've done a, a brand ambassador deal with a influencer called Mohan Launders Govin Desmi, and there's going to be that's tied to I think a, a CS uh, CSGO gaming initiative and a news channel. So we found that to be be of interest. Um, a lot, a lot of people on the move. It's probably uh, maybe my favorite section of the week to write in the newsletter. Aside from re- reporting we do with Gaming News Canada, it's just uh, people moving in the industry. So uh, while we have the chance, we do want to congratulate Greg Kirstein at uh, at PaySafe, who is uh, who's been promoted to the general manager of iGaming North America at PaySafe. That was announced this week. So so congratulations to uh, to Greg. Um, let's wrap it up there. Uh, great conversation as always this week. Uh, Aiden Brain from SBC Americas, we thank you. Jessica Wellman, we know you you check into LinkedIn Audio uh, from time to time, so really appreciate you getting up uh, getting up here on stage with the rest of us today and, and lending us your expertise and experience. And we're we're looking forward to seeing you in three weeks at uh, in New Jersey. Yeah, it's going to be a fun time. And also uh, Chris Abbott and Amanda Brewer and Nick Nick Salski for being here as usual. Gavin Roth, thanks for for hopping in. Um, if he, uh, if you this is your first timer, we do uh, we do these LinkedIn audio shows every two Thursday afternoon from two to three. Uh, we produce a podcast from it, the Gaming News Canada show, presented by Elsler Hoskin and Harcourt. Uh, that usually comes out over the weekend, so please keep your eye out for the podcast. Uh, Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Uh, Have a safe rest of the week and enjoy your weekend, and we will see you here next Thursday. Take care, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Gaming News Canada show. 
Sign up for our newsletter at GamingNewsCanada.ca. Follow Steve McAllister on LinkedIn to join the live audience. Message Steve if you're interested in being a sponsor or featured guest. 